Kia ora koutou and welcome to Alice's Soapbox where we're getting loud for women in sport. If we were going to kick this whole thing off, of course we have to start with my one true love, Rugby Union. If I was going to speak Rugby Union, who better to speak to than Ruahe Dumont, the current co-captain of the Black Ferns, the World Rugby Player of the Year in 2022, nominated again in 2023, an absolute legend for the Auckland Storm, the Auckland Blues, the College Rifles, and a proud descendant of the mighty Eastern Bay of Plenty. Uh, we have a great kōrero about growing up in Te Ao Māori, uh, the culture shop that is Walkworth, and of course, the beautiful game that we both love. Let's crack in. Crack straight into things, bro. So like Thanks. I said to you, important for me, because obviously this is a New Zealand women's sports podcast, so it's important that we start with our whakapapa and grounding ourselves. So those three questions um, straight off the top. And I always get, oh, I get whakama speaking um, to the all in front of a, a, a fluent speaker myself. But anyway, got to feel the fear, do it anyway. So no hiakoi being the first one there. Where are you from? Yeah, oh, kia ora, Alice. Um, no te whanau apanui, no te whakatohia, me ngāti awa uh, o kumātua. Um, Heuria hau no te waka o mātātua, me te waka o tauina mai papiti anō hoki. Uh, tua tui tērei tuku mai a e roto o te pai rāwhiti. Uh, nō reira, yeah, huria hau nō roto o te pai rāwhiti me waiariki. There we go. How flash is that? <laughs> I love it. Um, and then the second question there is nā waikwe. So who are you of? Yeah, probably answered um, a little bit of that there, but you know. Yeah. Um, well, my parents are from the Eastern Bay of Plenty. Um, my mother's from Tano Apne. Uh, my father's from Te Whakatohe in Ngātiawa. Um, we grew up in Omaio, a small place in Te Whanau so that is my tūranga waiwai. Um, that's my ahuru wai. That's where I'm from. Um, that's where I whakapapa to. Um, that's where home is to me. Um, mm. And my, my whanau and I were fortunate enough to be raised um, and immersed in our Māori culture. Um, we grew up speaking te reo Māori, we grew up on our marais, and so I'm very comfortable in my own Māori. And so, yeah, nā waiau, um, he tamaiti ahau, nā te ahomatua, um, he tamaiti ahau, nā uku tipuna, um, especially my tipuna from Apanui, yeah. Mm. Mean. And then lastly, the like I say, the one that I gave you the prep on, because it actually is a bigger question, which is ma waikwe, which is for whom do you exist? Yeah, um, just a bit of an easy one for me, I guess, as a Māori. So um, everywhere I go, um, regardless of what I do, uh, I'm a proud descendant of, again, my iwis that I've already mentioned. And for me, it's all about giving mana and whakamanaing my my whānau, uh, my menihapu and my iwi um, and in the bigger picture te ao Māori um, and one of my purposes um, within my life, not just in sport but outside of sport as well is to be an inspiration to uh, young Māori kids um, for them to know that there's the sky's the limit um, it doesn't matter where they grow up, how far they live from town how little reception they have, what language they speak, what colour their skin is, uh, anything is possible. 
Yeah, nah, that's mean. It's a really interesting one. I'm gonna I'm gonna go deep on you straight away. It's a really interesting one. I think in this setting right now, you know, um, to be a to be a visible wahine Maori and a proud wahine Maori, right? And we're yeah. seeing after the absolute joy and celebration that was, you know, that whole piece of, I think, you know, what for me as um, a Pākehā, that was one of the really special parts of like the World Cup campaign, right, was actually seeing, to my mind, like what the future of our country is, which is like integrating everyone and being all proud. And now we've kind of gone backwards a bit, you yeah. know, does that, that change how you feel when you're carrying yourself in the world right now? Absolutely not. Um, if If anything, it kind of gives me reassurance that, you know, there's a there's a massive generation of of not just Maori, of just New Zealanders really, because um we're all standing together and it gives me confidence and, you know, my my vote my voice has meaning. It's just yeah, like I say, it's something that's been on my mind because I just think too, like yeah. That that role modeling, like I, I don't know if you saw even like Portia Woodman Whitcliffe when she scored the try the other day and pulled out the poo yeah. after, and I was like, man, this is cool. Like I was like, yeah. I can already see that on every sevens promotion for the next year, you know? Yeah, yeah. it's fierce, right? And it's cool because like those of us who know Porsche, that that is her. You know, it's not just mm. something she wants to whip out because everyone's watching. Like that is who she is, and she she can be her true, authentic self anywhere even on the field yeah. so yeah it was cool talk me through like 20 like the the world world cup last year right so exciting for me as someone that has loved this sport for a long time and wants people to get into it the way I do but I can only imagine what it was to actually be at the center of that storm you know incredible right what what did it feel like first of all it was shocking when they said that the World Cup was going to be here in Aotearoa. I was worried because not a lot of people watch and support women's rugby here. And having seen like um, images from Ireland in 2017 and knowing how how much support um, those Northern Hemisphere teams get at their games um, and how they can really pack stadiums out, I was worried that, that, that this wasn't going to happen here. You know, like no one was going to turn up. There was going to be empty stands. No one was going to watch the games. And that's why I say shocking because I never in my wildest dreams expected that many people to tune in and turn up and celebrate women, celebrate women's rugby, women's sport. And it was like a whirlwind of fun because the the support, the the types of crowds that were generated and and the people that came were people that brought a good wider, you know, like it wasn't like your normal rugby fans were it was it was people who were just there because they loved supporting women or loved supporting women's sport or just loved rugby. Mm. Yeah. It, it, interesting you talking about the Wairua because I was having a yarn with someone else about how we were um, having a chat this week and one of the questions they had was around the um, first game and I was like yeah it's it's stuck in my head too because that first haka you guys did it was different right because you did a karanga yeah. at the beginning too can you talk me through like how how that came about because that was it felt different it felt electric out there eh yeah um so one of the, I guess one of the cool things we had last year like a whole, whole lot of change happened last year within our team and one of the things that came out was um, we needed to be like adaptable 
on field, off field, you know, with whatever was going on, our um, identity changed a little bit. And um, that adaptability went into our haka and what our haka looked like each week. And so, yeah, our haka changed week to week. And that first haka that we that we had, Arihiana Marino Tohenu, she, she was pretty much like our, our tutor, I guess. She was the one that... Um, you know, ask ask the players if they wanted to lead each week or appointed our kaya for the week. Um, change things up, um, so that we could do our haka with mana, um, but also in accordance with tikanga. And so, uh, our first haka before it, she said to us, our karanga was going to be because um, you know, it was our first game, the World Cup was here in Aotearoa, and we were the hosting nation. And so, our karanga was just going to be um, welcoming all the teams here to Aotearoa and then I think she finished it off and she laid down our challenge as the Blackburns to Australia and then we went in and we did our haka. I don't know if it was my most favourite just because they were all my favourite for different reasons to do um, but from week to week like our haka became so central in, well I don't know if it came, became important for anyone else, this is how I feel anyways, it became really important for me because the um, like, you know how people do whatever they do before the game to, like, really get themselves ready? So I got that from the haka. That he, that the haka gave me, allowed me to start the game like I was over 100%. I was way up in the clouds. And um, as a team, we loved that. Like, we loved that. And we wanted to stay high after the haka. I mean, you say that, but I've also yeah. seen the footage of you in your pre-match speech. The um, the little doco that was on the NZR Plus app, where they had that little pre- and I was like, holy heck! Like, I don't know what I expected you to be like as a captain, but like, you're pretty, um, you're pretty relaxed character. Like when I've encountered you, you're pretty like, I don't know, pretty toe most of the time, like. You know, nothing seems to phase you. And then seeing you in that circle being like, oh, we're going to, like, let's go. <laughs> Where did that come? Who, who influenced you, I guess, like in terms of when you're stepping in and you're taking on that captain role, taking it in a tricky spot too, like we say. I'm never going to stop talking about Tikaranata Arangamati and how she kind of set a chain of events that needed to happen in order for us to be able to lift the trophy. But, like, that there was a lot that happened during that period and you're having to step in and Les had done a lot of amazing mahi during that time to keep the team together and hold it safe for you to then come on and take it to that next level. That must have felt like a heck of a lot of pressure though, yeah? Oh, um, I, I, was, I didn't feel pressure and especially when it came time to World Cup, by then Kennedy and I were co-captains and so the, I guess the way that a captain would normally feel like we got to share that way, and we got to share, and we still do. We still get to share, um, like the expectations, the responsibilities. And, and Kenny and I are are really different. We're really different players, and we're really different people. And so I think it balance. It, there's like a, quite a good balance there. There's a lot of things that that I don't even think about that she gives a lot of thought to. And the easiest time, and I think she would agree too, the easiest time to captain the team is at training and in the game. Because you just do your job, <laughs> um, and I remember our first our first game, our opener was against Australia, and I think we played them like two or three times last year. That was like the third or fourth time that we had played them, and um, like the last couple of times we played them, like they kept scoring on full time. You know, like we'd take our button off play for like seventy nine minutes, not eighty. And so I really wanted us to give a performance that 
was a full performance that we could play to the end. Um, and I knew that we were capable of doing that to kind of set us up to, you know, keep going throughout the tournament. How did that co-captain come about? Because obviously from what I recall, and correct me if I'm wrong, during pack four it was just you and then um, Kennedy came on. Yeah, so Smithy rang me up and he was like, oh, um, I've been thinking about uh, co-captains, what are your thoughts, especially for the World Cup? I said, oh, you're, he was the only person in our entire team that had been through the pressure of playing the World Cup at home. So he said, oh, these are the reasons why I think it'll be be good. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. I mean, like, who, who are you thinking of? And we pretty much both said Kennedy. She was the only real person. At the time, though, she was injured. He was like, oh, do you think, or would you like to ring her? And I will tell her. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. So um, I was fortunate enough to to ring Kenny and, and tell her that, or ask her if she wanted to be the co-captain with me. Of course she said yes. Which is big, right? Because I think the thing that people also um, don't realise, and I was, again, I was talking to Les Elder about this not that long ago, is that we're still so baby in like our professionalism journey that there yeah. is a lot of learning that our players are doing around as soon as you get paid, there is a different level of expectation. There's obviously been a different level of visibility, a different level of accountability, all of this. And so that role of, ca- of captain is actually really big right now in terms of making sure you're, yeah, walking people along and getting alongside people as they need it. You know, that pastoral care stuff as well as like the game on field game management. Like, I agree with everything that you said. Um, like just to add to that, I think having players like Ruby in our environment who has played at a professional level with the Sevens for quite a long time, she brings a whole lot of experience um, with like the management of things and off-field issues. Obviously, that will eventually impact on-field stuff. It's nice for us to have someone like that and draw on her experiences. And she's like a very approachable person as well. We've also got our RPA who I think do a really, really good job at um, representing the diverse views of the players because like while there's like quite a lot of women who are professional I don't know 30 40 or whatever like everyone's in different boats um yeah some of our some of our athletes like they're, they're older they've got children you know they've got a lot more responsibility and hats to wear and while it's great having you know being able to play rugby full-time but the the contract's at the moment aren't as lucrative as as the boys and so being able to train full-time is actually more of a challenge for some players financially Um, and so having people like Ruby having our RPA there to to guide and and even having like um, coaches like Bunce to really try and push you know for for players to to be able to actually live comfortably um, so that they can train really well and and give their all and you see them at their best come game day like it's still that part of our journey so we haven't nailed that yet but I'd say there's like we've already come a long way since this time 12 months ago um yeah there's still a long way to go but I remember the last time we were having a yarn you were talking to me because it's interesting with this transition over to um with uh, professional contracts, right, people think, oh, now you get to do rugby full-time. But I think that that's actually a bit of a misconception because actually you were doing rugby in all your spare time before, right? So yeah. in a weird way, this professionalism actually brings back some balance, right? Oh, well, it really does, yes. So these full-time contracts started last year. And I remember when we all first started, like in our first week or whatever, like 
we were just so shocked at how much time we had, you know, and like um, a lot of us in Auckland, none of us are from here, and we had so much more time to go home and be with our family. And so, yeah, being able to live a more balanced life actually got easier. It is. It's just like yeah, like I say, it's counterintuitive. I think to some people because they're like, "Oh, finally, rugby is your full time job." And you're like, "Yes." Yeah, so that means that I can relax. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about growing up in a beautiful bubble. You know, just bubbling away on the on the east. Co- what? Yeah, on the east coast there. Not not like what a world away, really. Right. So small. You. T- I think I've heard you say that it's like it's got one shop, a yeah. landline. That's about it. Yeah. We got reception yet. We got reception now. Oi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> special way to come from, actually there's quite a lot of um, like athletes and stuff that come from really small places, especially in Aotearoa. It's special to come from a small community. And while there are challenges, um, there are there's beauty in it as well. The the community that that I come from, uh, Uportiki is our closest town. Opo is about an hour-ish away from, from where we are. And there's a there's a there's a few more jobs down there now, so the people that are able to live down home um, can be, you know, younger. Um, and there's a bit more energy there. But when we were down there, um, there wasn't many opportunities, so a lot of the whanos lived away. And um, if you wanted to pursue anything, everything was either in Upotiki or Fakatani. Um, and so those of us who did want to do something, there weren't many, but there were like a few whanos within our community. You all kind of went together. And then on the contrary to that, like you were you were raised real rural, isolated, like we spent most of our time on the marae, um, and that was where we would play rugby or down the beach, you know, play bull rush when there's tangies or whatever on, and that was our normal. Like no rules, rugged airs, no shoes, any yeah. ball, flat ball, whatever, just kick with your foot, um, run in the prickles. Yeah, I think it's not a story that, um, you know, a lot of people from small places can't relate to. You know, it's just, you just yeah. yeah. No, for sure. I remember I talked a while back to old mate um, Jerry Paul, who was one of the 91ers, um, played through to, I think, 1997. And yeah. she grew up in um, Bay Plenty as well. And she talks about how when she was a kid, she'd play shirts and skins, right? But when she was yeah. like... 10, 11, her dad was like, oi, you got to be on the shirts team now, Jerry. <laughs> she was like, nah, they're dumb. I don't want to be on the shirts team. <laughs> I mean, okay, so growing up in this beautiful, you know, part of the world, all your whānau feeling like, yeah, man, what a great, like, little piece of the world. And they're going to walk with, that's got to be a culture shock and a half, right? Yeah, like, um, I don't know if I've really painted the picture right, but, like, my sisters and I, we like so the lifestyle that we lived and how we grew up we so we went to a kohangareo we went to a kura kaupapa um our first language was maori we could speak english our english wasn't very good though we, we used to play soccer so like as we were getting a little bit older like we started traveling further and further for soccer but our life was very much down the coast like my mum did kapaka all the time like we lived at the marae that was our upbringing everyone was our cousin our auntie our uncle the community mm. was like 95% Māori, you know. And then so when we moved to walk with it was like the complete opposite, like a complete flip. And I hated it. I hated it so mm. much. We went to, that was our first time going to school in Pākehā. And the the school that we went to back at home, it was the biggest school down the coast. There was about 80 kids. And, <laughs> and we didn't have a uniform. 
and when we moved to Walkworth, the school that um, my parents sent us to, there was like 120 kids. There was a smaller school that they could find. And it was huge for us. And um, we had a uniform that was new. We'd never done, we never had to wear a uniform. And I remember waiting for the bus, like on our first day of school. And when we went, when we were at school down the coast, I think like in 10 minutes, there was about eight cars that went past. There was over 200 cars that went past at our new bus stop. And we couldn't believe it. Just the pace of the world was so fast. Um, yeah. And it took, yeah, it took a while to get used to. But the, the coolest thing about moving to Walkworth, obviously, because it was so close to Auckland, was all the opportunities that came with living mm-hmm. in a, or near a bigger city. Kitty and I, my younger sister, we signed up for nearly every single sport that we could until we couldn't play them all anymore. And that was one of the best things about, you know, moving to this, just, just around near Auckland. Yeah. Your perception of time must have been so different too, right? Because Walkworth, for people that don't know, um, you know, the geography, it's still a little bit outside of Auckland, right? And yeah. so for most people, if they were born and raised in Tamaki, they'd be like, oh, that's bloody ages. They'd be like, man, you're in the car all the time, la la. But for you, who would have spent a lot of time on gravel roads, that must have seemed like five minutes down the road, so close. Yeah, yeah. well, um, like already Walkworth was a big town. It was, it was already bigger than Oporsky. And it was like five minutes down the road. So we would call Auckland the city and it only took about an hour to get to Auckland where for us it took an hour to get to Oportiki. <laughs> <laughs> and everything was here. Like we played basketball, netball, hockey, kept going with soccer, touch, rugby, 17, like all these things that we'd never had the opportunity to. And we were very, oh, Kitty wasn't very shy, but I was very shy um, when we moved up here to Auckland and, being able to, you know, join teams, meet different people from different cultures, upbringings, backgrounds, not only allowed us to, you know, try different things, but um, to grow in confidence as well and mm-hmm. learn different, like, life skills that we would have yeah. never been able to do unless we, I guess, went to boarding school probably if we lived down the coast. It's just, I, I, like, I can't comprehend it. Like, it would just be such, I, I guess my only point of reference is when I started playing rugby, right, and that I had grown up in Wellington Central, which was, like, mm. a very Pākehā, Pākehā neighbourhood, and then gone to, like, I think there were maybe one Māori kid that went to my primary school, and then I went to my high school, and my high school also pretty white, like, and then when I first started playing rugby and I um, made the school rep team and I was like the only Pākehā or maybe there was <laughs> one other and that was like, whoa, like <laughs> yeah. that was my like reverse culture shock where I was suddenly like, holy heck, this is, you know, I'm I'm suddenly aware of how other people feel all the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that we're walking in these spaces, but you're right, like the range of different people, particularly if you when you finally get to like our sport, rugby. Yeah just a whole different experience in a whole different place, eh? Now, am I right? It was actually your older sister that first started playing rugby and pulled you into it? Yeah, so um, Kitty and I were still in intermediate and um, our older sister, Edina, she was already at high school and she came back from school one day and she said, oh, Dad, like I've, I've joined the rugby team. I've signed up to play rugby. And the rugby team actually wasn't very good. They lost all their games. But she's a very social person. So just want, I think she just joined to get like an afternoon off school and, you know, probably meet yeah. boys, to be honest. Um, and he was like, oh, great. Your sisters can go with you too. And there was no age grade, no like weight thingy. And so Kitty and I started playing and I was, Kitty was like in year seven, I was in year eight and we were playing against 
girls that were, you know, like towards the end of high school in North Harbour and it was oh, actually we didn't really like it to be honest like it was it was different to what it is now right like rugby back then wasn't a very popular sport to do um it didn't attract a lot of athletes so it's just like oh whoever wants to play made the team no one really took it seriously as well and the school that we were in, uh, Mahurangi College, that fell within the North Harbour Rugby Union. And the union didn't really care about, like, women's rugby, let alone school girls' rugby. Um, played for a couple of years, and then there was just, like, no competition within North Harbour. There wasn't enough schools to put together teams. Like, um, I remember one year the competition went from 15s to 10s. So we just was playing all sorts of other sports, and it wasn't until the end of high school that, like, the... The girls got included in the Condor Sevens. So then there was like sevens that started up and, and everyone wanted to play because it was at the end of the year was easy, easier than 15s to learn. And then we, I think in my last year, we started playing club rugby down here in Auckland. So we'd drive down yeah. to Auckland a couple of times a week and um, play for college rifles and still play there now. And um, that was probably where the the true passion for rugby started you know like when you when you turn up to your rugby club and you meet all those diverse group of women um who i think the beauty of club is how you you can be there with people who have never played before and then on the other side you're standing next to like a black fern or you know like it's just it was unreal and the the people that we met and the friendships that we made and maintained is what has kind of kept us in the game really yeah how are you feeling about the next couple um couple of seasons because chances are we're not going to get to play much at home like just yeah. realistically we've had uh, rugby world cup mean we've had wxv mean mean although less mean in terms of results but anyway we won't talk about that too much today <laughs> yeah. um but but get it like Next year, chances are it'll be Northern Hemisphere or maybe Americas that WXV will be held. And the following year, probably the similar. The closest we'll probably get to home is if they let Aussie host one. Mm. Um, and so that's like, this could be hard. We're probably going to just get to have uh, O'Reilly and maybe one other game um, to be here. Does that? How does that feel, I guess, going into the next World Cup campaign to know that, all right, we're going to have to pack our um, bags now. We're going to have to have a different approach to this. Yeah, I think um, like, I always like not to get too far ahead of myself. So like, even though potentially the games aren't going to be here, I always like to work really hard and take things like step by step so, so that I can have that opportunity to, you know, play. Um, mm. Knowing that the World Cup is, the next World Cup is up in, um, the UK England. and so mm. we're going to have to prepare to be away for a long time and play up there and mm. so that's just the sacrifice that you make right as a as an athlete trying to be at that next pinnacle event which really compared to some of the things that people do for their jobs isn't that much and <laughs> and what you you don't do this for very long so it's a really it's a it's a choice it's not just getting you all match fit for your um your northern hemisphere time zone. Also, us fans, we're going to have to get back on that three a.m. Yeah. three a.m. watch party. Set those alarms. Let's go. It's going to be one of those again. Brunch. 
having brunch in, in Black yeah. Ferns at the same time. So it's it's getting us already there too. Hey, I have a, um, a couple of questions that I ask everyone, right? It's about a tuakana and a teina, right? So your big sister that when you first came in, I mean, in your case, it wasn't your literal big sister. <laughs> but I guess who that person was when you first played that had a really big influence on your game and, and your experience in it. I guess now, because I've been playing for quite a while, if I really had to step back and think about it, because there's quite a few. A player that's had a really big influence on me, though, um, is Doris Safatio. Plays for college rifles, or played for college rifles, over 150 games for our club. Played for the Auckland Storm, played for the Blackburn. And the reason why I say she had a big influence on me, not just to me, but also to Kitty, Doris is a player who plays with her heart on her sleeve. And she's Tongan. Um, but she's a New Zealand-born Tongan, and she's from Glen Innes, a really small suburb in East Auckland. And she's proud of where she comes from, and she always represents her family and her community wherever she goes. And that's really easy for Kitty and I to relate to, because as Māori, that's what you do anyway. And so that's one reason why why we look up to her as a person, as a player as well. She's like, it's, I would say she's a 10 trapped in a prop's body. She's Crystal Murray, eh? Same deal. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like, um, <laughs> ever seen, like, Doris one time, I remember in my first season of Storm, we're playing Taranaki and there's like a four-on-one and all she had to do was pass the melee, but she crossed field <laughs> kicks it. Yeah, like, um, you know, like, she doesn't let anything restrict her mm. um, and she always walks around with a smile on her face. She always got everyone together to bring them to training, to bring them to games. You talk about those people that are like the real um, focal point of a club. They're the ones who bring people in. That's Doris for a lot of us. So that's Doris for me and my sister. And there's a whole lot of other Tuakana figures that I've had that I still have. But Doris was one of my first and she's still one of my now. Yeah. Those yeah. those women are so important because eh? they teach you like – uh, not just be rugby players, but be women's rugby players and how that is yeah. a different role for us yeah. because we are, you know, and I think it's probably the same in other codes too, that while women's sport is still smaller, like those people are, can have such big impact. You know, you say like one person can't change things, but man, one person can, can pull a lot, a long way. What about your, um, Tana? Now you're pretty good at the talent ID because the last time I had a chat with you, you said to me, look out for Christopher Lickor and now she's a black fern. Uh, so who who is the young one that excites you at the moment who, who's coming through? Um, there's a few. that are, I'll just talk about the players from our region, to be honest. Um, there's a few mm. players that are coming through that are exciting. One of the players that I'm really proud of this season is Jelly, Angelica. And to be honest, it's not her playing ability that I'm really proud of. It's the confidence that she has when she plays now. She's still a very shy girl. Doesn't say much, eh? And she's still, like, so young with so much talent, it's just so raw. So I'm excited to see that raw talent um, be tapped into a little bit more and be enhanced. Another player, young player that is very exciting is young Braxton. I didn't even know she was 16, to be honest. And she plays league as well, so she's not scared of the contact. And so when players would break through, she always make that last tackle. That's a good skill to have in a fullback. But she worked really hard. She was always there, you know, just like always there, like good full background, nice lines. She was, um, I couldn't believe how good she was and how young she was. 
even when she goes to mum's, she's got good support around her. And so mm. she'll probably be, if she doesn't crack it in rugby, she'll probably grow cracking in league. Obviously, this podcast, right, it's called Alice's Soapbox. So yeah. Soapboxes, you know, we climb up, we make some noise about things. So mm. I'm asking you, what is it that you would climb up onto a soapbox to make sure people heard about women's rugby? Get behind it, support it, invest in it, invest yeah. in women's sport. Because there's just so many flow-on effects of it, right? And they always say, like the biggest thing they say to us is, there's not enough resources, there's not enough money, there's not enough people watching. Well, there's people watching. There's a lot of people watching, right? Because people actually do want to invest in it. Mm. But I don't think people would know how to. And um, there's so many barriers, right? There's so many barriers. And those barriers never exist in men's sport, but they exist in women's yeah. sport. And and in some ways it's unfair because women have so many more hats to wear just because mm. we're women. And so if you were able to invest in women's sport, invest in women's rugby to remove those barriers, just think about the growth that coaches, players would be able to make physically you know up here we'd be able to play more quality games you'd probably get a lot more attraction to the sport because people would see a pathway you'd be able to create more pathways create more um, tournaments have longer seasons um you know hey you'd just be able to do so many things sky's the limit <laughs> i mean i feel like we go a long way to not do what to me is the most obvious thing which is like people just want to play all right, here you go, rapid fire to finish me off. Um, Lua, hey, thank you. TikTok or Instagram? TikTok. Yeah, thought so. Beach or mountains? Beach. Who's your favourite team that you haven't played for? Oh, the Waz. 2025, baby. Get that recruitment yep. on um, yep. Lua, hey. Um What is your game day superstition? Do you have one? No, not anymore. And you know why? Because last year when we I used to wear my same game day undies and um we got to our first game in the World Cup last year and my undies hadn't come back in the wash. Some of our stuff had gone missing and so ever since then I didn't have a any routine. Yeah. Yeah. No superstition can't break them, right? They don't have any personal responsibility. That's <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. What um sporting event do you most want to attend as a fan? Well, Olympics. Yeah. I want to attend the yeah. Olympics 100 meter final. That would be unreal. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Zoe Hobbs will be there. Yeah. Fingers crossed one day. Yeah. Um, okay. And what's the song you're going to add to our um, game day playlist? Oh, um, the song I'm going to add to the game day playlist is um, our Rifles team song. And it's going to be, I don't even know if I say this right. It's called Seven, I think, by Tez Katie. Okay. Yeah. Um, and what, finally, what is the least athletic thing you did this week? Ooh, um, was, oh, yesterday I went and got wontons. <laughs> Deep fried wontons. Where's the best spot? Where's the best spot for wontons? What's it called? Chinese cuisine, you know, like the oh, old man. mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's it, mate. Hey, too easy. Hey, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alice. I'm looking forward to um, listening to it. 
Nga mihi nui tu. Roa hei Demont for joining us in this conversation today. What an absolute legend. You can catch her back in action uh, for the Auckland Blues with Super Rugby Opiki kicking off in March. You can keep involved in this conversation by joining us on Women's Sports on all your favourite social media platforms. We'll see you soon.